Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. So what are you supposed to do between each Engadget podcast? Wait in silence? I'm Matt Smith, and every morning I walk through the day's biggest tech stories. It's short, relevant, and ready for listening whenever you wake up. Find Engadget Morning Edition wherever you find your podcasts, or ask your smart speaker for the latest news from Engadget. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Engadget Podcast. I'm Deputy Editor Sherlyn Lowe. I'm Senior Editor Devendra Ardwar. This week, there has been a ton of news. Like so I feel news. like more oh than God. usual, there were three events. We had the Microsoft event, which Devendra covered in New York for us, along with our senior writer Sam Rutherford, who will be joining us this episode to talk about it. And then we got we had a Meta, aka Facebook event, and then we have, I, I mean. I don't know that this matters, but Samsung had a developer conference. Don't know. Don't know if we D- care. Don't matter. It don't, does, doesn't matter. Don't quite matter. All. So we'll we'll dive into all of that this episode. But as always, if you're enjoying the show, make sure you subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. Leave us a review on iTunes, and we also typically do a live broadcast of the behind the scenes recording of this show around Thursday every Thursday around 10 a.m. Eastern. Uh, you can talk to us live, leave your questions in the chat. We have a cute and happy little community there. So it's usually a good time. Come join us then. Okay, so we just came off of Microsoft's Surface event last year. Devendra, you covered it. Sam uh, also covered it with you. We've got Sam joining us here to talk about it today. Hey, Sam, how's it going? Hey, how you doing? I feel so bad for you, Sam. I really honestly... <laughs> It's I, been it's been a busy week. So the, yeah, yesterday so is like the first yeah. night I got more than four hours of sleep in oh like the last God. week. Man, Sam, I know how that is. Yeah, this has been this has been like hard on all of us. But I feel especially bad for you because Sam, you were also reviewing the pixels, which we will get to in a later part of this episode. But you barely finished reviewing the pixels, and you had to like go right to the Microsoft event, which by the way, I hear was kind of a mess. Like, tell me about the in-person situation there. Tell me, y'all told me something about like, they were figuring out audio issues. Devendra, do you want to tell us? I mean, listen, we were, this was a live stream. Everybody, like the, the there was no like big, let's go to the Microsoft campus, everybody, and have a huge audience. Uh, no, no, Microsoft doesn't do that. They have a little, a little like pre-made video with Panos Penne, like, really just showing off all his affection for his gadgets. And we could talk more about that. But in New York, we were in an upstairs office at their New York City store and uh, just like a tiny little meeting room 
with a bunch of other journalists and like a TV on the wall. They forgot to turn on the stream, first of all. So this <laughs> is just like a little funny gripe. And then uh, they didn't know how to switch the sound to the sound bar. So we had like tinny TV sound for a while too. So yeah, just I, pulled, like, I pulled up the live stream on my phone yeah, and put my yeah. earbuds in so I could actually hear what they were saying. Hilarious. Um, I mean, that's not anything a normal viewer or consumer will notice, but fun, just funny seeing how other companies run their events and stuff like simple stuff Microsoft was getting wrong. Yeah. I also just want to point out for the listener of the podcast itself that you, you sound a little stuffy and I'm very sorry. It sounds like you're, you're, are you exhausted from everything? Yeah. You've been I doing? mean, listen, I flew into New York Tuesday morning. Uh, I was working the way through. We spent all of Tuesday basically prepping for the Microsoft event because as usual, we do get some of this news early. So we were able to like prepare our posts and I'm always grateful for that. But then we have to actually, you know, get stuff ready for the event, go to the event uh, with Sam and I live blog, you live stream Sherlin. Uh, then we had to immediately go to hands-on. So basically it was like nonstop work. And I was also just coming off of the big uh, NVIDIA RTX 4090 review, which we'll talk about later. So yeah, all of us are just like, I've just been typing all for the past couple of weeks, basically. Yeah. It's Techtober. Don't you feel alive? Oh, man. The opposite. I feel dead. I'm buried under the mounds and mounds of work. But speaking of mounds and mounds of new shit, uh, yes, I said that. Uh, Sam. Why don't you run us through like what we saw, right? Speaking of all the hands-ons and things, what did Microsoft unveil? Right. So um, they had a, a bunch of new Surface products, as you can imagine. Um, there's the new Surface Pro 9. There's the new Surface Studio 2 Plus and the Surface Laptop 5, which are, I think, the big kind of devices. Um, you also uh, wrote a, a story about uh, the accessibility, the modular mouse. Yeah, I did work. I worked. Yeah. <laughs> um, and there, there was also some like you know announcements about um, uh, Apple Music finally arriving on the Xbox, which is nice if you're you know one of those people who uses devices from multiple ecosystems. Mm -hmm. um, and there's also a little bit of news about Microsoft incorporating some AI using Dolly two to like make it easier to design things and you know create images and illustrations. A whole and there's new even app. a little news about a new presenter remote for people who really like, you know, need to give meetings um, and, you know, want an easier way to scroll through PowerPoint slides. Yeah. Microsoft doesn't really roll out new apps, like whole new things all the time. But Microsoft Designer is going to be that new thing with AI. It's interesting, but I also feel like it's very like, um, can I call myself a designer? You know, like uh, Microsoft Paint is not called Microsoft Artist. It's just you you dabbling with the mouse. Whereas this is like, I'm going to type in some Dolly 2 prompts and I'm going to get a cool image. I'm going to make a poster or something. Um, it, 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 it is weird. It takes on Canva, yeah. doesn't it? Like for people who yeah, want to. Yeah, 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 basically. But but why why is Dolly in it, right? Like what is is this not for me to make my own posters? Is it's, some that's, kind of that's exactly it, I think, because um, just from the demo we saw, right? Uh, normally you'd go off to like, uh, a clip art site or some place where you could like buy images, plug it in, make some cool stuff for your band or a poster or social media images. Now it's just like the power of AI and Dolly too. I type a couple of words and I get a perfect, not perfect, but I get an AI created image, um, that will perfectly fit what I need. So it is kind of magical, but also I feel all those independent artists, all the Etsy people, who create these things and templates and designs people tend to use. This this is exactly what we were worried about. And Microsoft is just full on saying, hey, it's, it's a new Office app. Come get your AI art, you know? I, first of all, is it free? 
it's I believe it's part of Microsoft 365. So you have to be a subscriber. Uh, personally, I think that is not to be too big of a chill here. But I think that's a pretty good deal, even though you're paying monthly or no annually for Microsoft Office. Uh, now it's all called Microsoft 365. Um, if you get the family plan, uh, you can bring in like just share it with your friends, split the bill like it, it's super cheap. Uh, I do remember it used to cost like $200 to buy Microsoft Office, right? Um, now you can split that up over several years and you keep getting a new software. So I think that's worth it. I, the other question I had, and other than was it free, is <laughs> like, why, why, why would I want to make my own art? Like, I don't know. Well, I you're I asking this? I know. I know. I make I, my own. I you like you will instantly, design. instantly start using this for, like, for social media yeah. crap. For, yeah. yeah. Microsoft showed us like, oh, like you can like tell Dolly to like, oh, I want a picture of an astronaut. But like, oh, I want a picture of an astronaut that's a cat or a dog. And it's like, you know, it, it's actually like I haven't spent a lot of time with Dolly. And it was like now I kind of want to play with it more just to like see what kind of like weird like animations or drawings it can make. This, I mean, this, this is, this sounds like some, like one of those few software reviews we might actually do. So at Engadget, we don't review a lot of software, just, there's just a lot of work and there, we have too much work already. Um, this, this is something I, I would be down to review. But anyway, this is software, but this was the Surface event. We saw a lot of hardware, starting with the Surface Pro 9, Sam, just now you were telling us that that's something they unveiled. Can you tell us what's like new, different, outstanding about the Pro 9? Yeah, um, so uh, Dev did the hands-on with that, so I'll probably toss it to him. But, I mean, it's kind of the same, you know, overall design as the last one. There is a new, like, Liberty Edition, Special Edition version of it, which I think actually looks pretty good. Um, but it's, it's if you know the Surface Pro, you kind of know what it is. The, the big change is that they've kind of, uh, like, uh, sunsetted the Surface Pro X and combined it into the Surface Pro 9 line. So now you have a choice of Intel processors and Microsoft's SQ3 processor, which is based on ARM. And they teased some more, um, you know, AI-enhanced effects, especially for noise cancellation and uh, in the web camera. So, Dave, uh, if you want to kind of explain those. Yeah. So, first of all, I have to say, uh, as I was writing this up, I had to, like, double-check the specs a couple of times because it is very weird to see Microsoft say, hey, Surface Pro 9. Actually, it's two very different computers, right? It is one with the Intel 12th gen chip, one with the SQ3, two with very, very different like software compatibility. Like the Intel chip will run everything you're used to on Windows. Uh, the SQ3 uh, will have to run, it can run native apps, it can run some Intel apps over emulation. But, you know, Sherlin, has, you've reviewed the Surface Pro X. It's kind of the same deal uh, where you're going to be running into issues of running older software, maybe some of your drivers on an ARM machine. And I basically, I had a couple chats uh, with people at Microsoft saying like, um, what are you guys doing here? This doesn't make any sense. And I can imagine somebody going to Best Buy. To be clear, the ARM one has 5G. And that is like the big reason for doing is this is the first uh, Surface with 5G. So it's called the Surface Pro 9 with 5G. Um, but I can imagine somebody going to Best Buy and wanting a Surface and seeing this one saying, oh, it has more battery life. It has 5G. That's cool. And then getting home and it doesn't work with their printer or some of their gadgets or some of their older software. And the Microsoft reps were just like, I don't know. They just kind of shrugged their hands. They're like, and this is me as like former IT guy being, I, I am projecting out the issues that I can see from this hardware. And they're like, I don't know. I guess I guess people will just have to deal with it. I'm like, guys, that's that's insane to me. Yeah. Yeah. 
And, and there's that chance that like someone goes into the store and they buy the Surface Pro 9 and it's got the wrong processor and they don't really know it until they get home and be like, oh, why aren't my apps working? And so that's a little concerning too. Because the regular, like, I, I don't want to ding on people who are shopping for surfaces, but let's say a more like a, a, an average consumer that walks into Best Buy and it's like, oh, I want a tablet that I can also work on. Uh, and then if they don't actually like, if the salesperson isn't giving them the correct spiel, like they're not explaining the differences between Intel and ARM well enough, whereas they like, if can you imagine going to the store and being told these two machines are the same, except this one has 5G? Yeah, totally. Like, and- Best Buy people... Will not know that info. So yeah, yeah. And, and the one with the SQ3 processor gets a little bit of battery life. So it's like someone's like, oh, I really want oh, something want that has this. good longevity. Right. And they don't ask about like the other stuff. It's like they might end up getting the thing that oh, I want the better battery life, but then they can't run the stuff in the way they think they can. I want to point out, sorry, quickly that Michael Coley in the chat is like, as a former Best Buy PC salesman, this seems like a nightmare. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I also used to sell hardware, so. I, I understand like how hard that would be to like convey. Uh, as you mentioned, Sam, the the ARM one also has some like AI driven features. It can blur out the back of your images in the webcam. It can uh, minimize uh, sound like a noise and stuff. Um, the Intel one cannot do that because it doesn't have a neural processor. And again, the Microsoft people are like, well, you know, when Intel does add, add neural processors to their core line, uh, it can support those features. I'm like, dude, it doesn't right now, so it's a problem. And they're like, I, I don't know. That's an Intel problem. This is wild. Yep. I, yep. I can't believe it. So, okay, so the Surface Pro 9, it, it's, a, it's a very, very strange product. And I, I, I wouldn't even call it a product. I would call it a, a series, basically, right? But let's say we're comparing just the Intel versions to the last generation. What benefits, what improvements are we seeing? Sam, do you want to tell us? I know I, I mostly just want to make sure Dev doesn't like choke on his phlegm. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, the, the design is almost exactly the same. It's like, it's basically those features that, that Dev just mentioned. And like, you know, obviously a new processor. So you get a little bit more performance, but that, that's kind of about it. Mm-hmm. I mean, so it's, it's 12th gen. So a lot more performance. I will yes, say that. Uh, yeah, yeah. Fair point. The yep. hybrid chips are fantastic. Amazing. Throw away your 11th gen computers if you can, because... Those things were a mess. Like those chips ran too hot and weren't super fast. So 12th gen is a big upgrade. And they said the webcam's a little better. That's that's kind of it. Yeah. Uh, I'm so excited for that. And then, and then tell me about the SQ3 chip itself. Because I remember the last chip we saw that was ARM-based was SQ2. I'm not yeah. sure what performance. They barely, I mean, I think you had written that up, but they had barely been like, oh, by the way, here's a new Surface Pro X with SQ2. Yeah, like, yeah, they did that, yeah. We're not going to talk about this exactly. product. This product is a mess. Nobody wants it. Um, I can understand why they chose to, to kill that product line. Um, I think this will be a huge mess for Microsoft. And the fact that we can all see this coming, you know, and they're like, I'm sure they can. I think they just assume it's like an acceptable cost, right? Like it's it's the cost of war where there will be some casualties and those casualties are your consumers, it sucks. Yeah, and Microsoft, we haven't really, they haven't been really beating the like Windows on ARM drum recently. And so I think this is like sort of like a more low key way of like getting people to like push adoption for Windows on ARM without necessarily saying this is what they want to do. Right, because that name is tainted, right? Because nobody loves it. Like the, it, since Metro, right, where like it was such a mess, people just don't have any faith on the idea of Windows on ARM anymore. And they, they haven't decided that the way to fix this is to actually make it work. They've decided that the way to fix this is to avoid it altogether. Well, and like we look at what Apple did with the M1 and M2 chips, right? Like they focused on compatibility. They made sure like 
things transition pretty well. Uh, Microsoft can't do that as easily because they don't have full control of the ecosystem in the way Apple does. Um, but also, like, uh, what was I going to say? Um, I did secretly run some benchmarks on the ARM on the arm thing. So like, as I was talking with the Microsoft rep, I was like, okay, okay. Geekbench. Uh-huh. Ah. Uh-huh. Install, install. And I just you like, I kept their, I kept their attention as Geekbench was running. Um, Geekbench is running in Intel mode. So it's emulated, but the score was still pretty low because that is the score you would expect to see from, uh, from an Intel app being emulated on the SQ3. And both single core and multi core scores were well below any laptop we reviewed this year. I think I had to go back like several years to kind of find comparable Intel chips. So when Microsoft was telling me, hey, yeah, these chips are basically comparable in performance, that's not true. There's a lot of lies going on around this thing. Yeah. It's I, also more expensive. Don't forget that. Yeah. Wait, which one's more expensive? The, the Intel? SQ3. The uh, so that's. Dumb, in my opinion, but okay. With the SQ3, though, you are getting that cellular connectivity that the Intel model doesn't have. And that's a question that's come up in the chat uh, as we're talking about this is why doesn't the Intel model offer cellular? Is it because they... Like I mean, they I mean, they just had to add a radio, right? Like they could. I mean, that, it that's that's what issue? it always that's what it always is. But you look at the surface and the size of it. Like there's no there's no space on the motherboard. So with an ARM chip. We you cover the Sherlin, but ARM can bundle in the cellular modem inside the chip. Intel doesn't quite do this. They sold off their uh, modem like division and everything, so they may they need to start doing this at some point. Um, well, because they couldn't compare or compete with Qualcomm on five G, and so at, there was a point where they were actually teaming up with I think MediaTek to do five G. They were selling, I believe, they were selling modems to Intel or to Apple at some at one. Yes, but then iPhone, that, so, that yeah. crashed and burned. Sam, you also are familiar with this side of the like market or the industry. Do you have any insight here? Yeah, I mean, it's just one of those things where it's like. In theory, like, Windows on ARM should be good, but, like, you know, kind of to what Dev was saying, it's like, Apple was very, very clear about the transition from Intel chips to ARM chips, and they're like, this is what we're doing, this is our custom-built chip, it's designed to run all the stuff, and for all the stuff that it doesn't run, we have a translation layer, and there's, like, a really good translation layer, like a fast and and we're going to be doing this transition over the period of two years, and, like, they said it, and then they did it, and it's, like, that engenders a lot of, like, trust and reliability when people are, like, you know, not everyone is super tech savvy. So it's like, you know, they don't understand necessarily what the mean, like a change in architecture means for the way the computer handles, like just the apps that they want to do. Um, and so it, it's just like, it really feels like Microsoft really needs to kind of nail down that whole transition process because it's been way longer than two years now. It's like, and, and even like, not even going back to like the original Surface RT stuff, but like, yeah, yeah. you know. Let's say um, 2016 when Trillin and I were going to Computex and writing about Windows on ARM, they've been talking about it. Uh, what, what Even before it? that, yeah. they were talking about it, right? Yeah. yeah. So. But all day Snapdragon, wasn't there a special name for it or something? It was like, Windows on Snapdragon. Windows on Snapdragon, yeah. 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 Uh, or Snapdragon PCs. So, but but what we're, what we're learning from what Sam just said too, right? There's a lot to be said for consistency and reliability. Even if like the design may be stayed or like you, the features might be old or whatever, but if it's consistent and reliable, like a lot of Apple machines are, then at least users know what they're expecting, what they're getting, and they're not being gaslit half the time. But speaking of consistency, uh, the other product that Microsoft announced seems also a little bit incremental. The Surface Laptop 5. Uh, Sam, is it true? Is it very incremental? This is this is like it really feels like a bare minimum like refresh. My Microsoft really is like coasting with the laptop five. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, 
I love the design of it. Like, it's still super minimalist, like the, the brushed aluminum, and then they still kept that Alcantara top for the platinum version. And you still get, you know, 13.5-inch and 15-inch models. But, like, I really feel like Microsoft can do better. And that I think that's what disappoints me the most. So the, there's, there's really three main upgrades for the Surface Laptop 5. There's a new 12th gen, a uh, range of 12th gen Intel chips, which, great, uh, performance, I'll always take it. There's one Thunderbolt 4 port, um, and there's only two USB ports on the entire machine, even on the 15-inch one, which is, like, really annoying to me. And then the third is that there's a new Sage Green color option, which is lovely. Looks good. But yeah. I, I will say that Sage Green for the Pro 9 and the laptop look incredible. So, uh, But, you know, once again, we saw this on the Surface Laptop Go 2, so it's not a brand new color for, you know, Microsoft. Um, and then there's one other smaller detail uh, in that... Um, there's now support for Dolby Vision IQ, which, you know, looks at ambient light conditions and will adjust your displays like color settings and brightness, which is nice. But this is like not exactly like an unseen feature. Like Apple's been doing this for years. Phones have been doing this for years. Um, you know, so, um, it's like, and, and I was, I actually had a chance to talk to some of the, the Microsoft like product managers and designers. And I was just like, you know, I, I'm, I've been using the surface, uh, uh laptop studio for a while and it's like I really want something especially for the 15 inch version that's like can I get a discrete GPU can I get an SD card slot and it's like on that 15 inch like it doesn't really compete with like something like an XPS 15 and I really wish it would and I know they would might probably have to make it a tiny bit thicker but I think that's could be a really valuable trade-off and so you have like you know the Surface Laptop 5 13 inch model that's your like really super thin ultra portable like very simple fantastic but then you just want something beefier that you know can do you know has a discrete gpu for video editing photo editing maybe playing a little game uh game playing and it's like you know there's some so weird part of me that like i've been like kind of hoping that microsoft would come out like an xbox gaming laptop for a long time i don't know if they're ever going to do that but like if they if they gave uh the 15 inch surface laptop 5 like a discrete gpu you would maybe kind of have that um and so like like i said the Surface Laptop 4 was a great machine, um, and I'm sure the, the Surface Laptop 5 will be good too. It's just, you know, I think I think Microsoft can do more. And then the other kind of small uh, disappoint, disappointing thing is that it's only Intel configs this year. There's no more support for AMD chips Which were like so you good. had on the Surface Laptop 4. They were so good last year. I call the Surface Laptop 4 a norm core PC, and it it's still just basic, hey, uh, you go into the store, you buy a PC, and you walk out with this thing. Um, I feel like the Surface Studio, the laptop studio, should have been that more powerful machine. But then, what, go check out my review of that. Like, I was really baffled by the quad core chip they picked uh, for that machine too. So, like, it's always like half measures with Microsoft. Like, there's always something more we didn't get. And I hate that feeling. I hate that feeling of just like always being kind of like uh, left uh, unsatisfied by what they're right. doing. And, and, yeah. and if you look at Apple, after like years of people complaining about like not enough ports, uh, the keyboard not being great. I mean, granted, the Surface Laptop keyboard's pretty good, but um, and like no SD card slot. And then recently, Apple added all of that stuff to the MacBook line. It's like okay, or the MacBook Pro line specifically, and it's like. Man, you, you see what's going on like elsewhere in the industry, and that's I think that's when it gets really frustrating. 
I think maybe it takes it will take uh, Microsoft a couple more years to like listen to people because uh, to be fair, it takes Apple a bit to listen to people too. I don't That's they, true, they don't yeah. care. I, th- I think they just don't care. Microsoft, Microsoft doesn't seem so, to care as much for they're sure. They're so big and powerful, and um, Surface is such a small part of their business. It's like they can be weird. They can have Panos being like very overly fond of all these computers. Like whenever he, whenever he walks up to one of his computers, and he's just like. He's he's like a he's like a proud father, but maybe a little too proud. Like uh, like uh, they still hold hands while they walk down the street, but they're th- that's a teenager now, man. Like relax, relax a little. They bit. They still kiss on the mouth or something. Yeah, you yeah. want you really want to kiss at uh the Surface stu- the new Surface Studio or something. Um, and I feel like it, it is. I think he genuinely does love these products, but to the point where he does not fully see the flaws in the design. Too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I don't think it's just him. I think it's a lot. So the other question I wanted to ask about the Laptop 5 is, Sam, you mentioned there's only two USB ports, but is there also still that Surface connector that there is specific Yes, the, the Surface Connect port still exists, and you stu- do get a 5-watt charging port on the power brick, which, as you know, like, I, I think is like a really neat thing to, like, add a little bit of utility to a power brick that usually is just, like, a complete afterthought. But, like, you, like especially on a 15-inch laptop, you should get more... And I also forgot to mention the the webcam. There's you know there's an IR camera for Windows Hello, which is fine. Um, but the webcam is still 720p, <laughs> which is like what? these are premium laptops. That's not okay. Oh in they, 2022. Put, they put 1080p on the Pro Nine and everything else too. So I, and, and it's like we we see what's going on even in even other Apple. like branches inside the Surface line, and it's yeah. like 720p is not okay. People like people are ve- like video calling people working remotely. They need. A 1080p web camera, and especially on a, you know systems that start at a thousand dollars or twelve hundred for the fifteen inch. Mm-hmm. That's a shame too, because we we looked at the Pro 9's camera, and honestly, it looks incredible. Like it's 1080p, but it also looks like it's a mirrorless camera, basically pointing at you, like better than anything I've seen on a MacBook. So, yeah. It's weird how they have the good components and don't put them everywhere. The we laptop, should talk about the the other. The we other will get. Yeah, one. I was yeah. just going to get to the Studio Two Plus, but the Laptop Five also does does it doesn't support the um, background blur feature we were talking about before with the Pro Nine because it not, needs an NPU and the Intel chips don't have NPUs. Okay, so so n- moving on to the Studio Two Plus, was this at least a bit less disappointing, Devendra? Like, no. Oh God. No. <laughs> Um, so again, I, I feel bad for these Microsoft because it's the people who design these computers and come and show them to us. And I just had like a list of complaints, uh, basically, um, my list of grievances because, uh, we last reviewed the Surface Studio 2 in 2017, I believe it was like pretty much straight up four years ago, like, um, 2017, 2018. Um, so it's been a while. We have been waiting for a refresh of this computer because I love this design. The studio, the whole point is that you can like tilt the screen, push it down, uh, turn to like an easel formation. Uh, they made this one faster. It has newer Intel chips, but not the newest ones. It has 11th gen chips, which again, 12th gen is where we're at. 12th gen is what you want. If you're buying a computer today, at the very least get Intel 12th gen or... Um, was it Ryzen 6 Gen, 6000 series? The 12 inch chips were such a huge improvement. Um, it is shocking to see like Microsoft stick with uh, the older hardware here um, because it runs hotter, it's not as efficient, um, and it's just not as powerful. Uh, on the plus side, it does have an RTX 3060 GPU instead of like the 1060 and 1070 the older one did. So decent graphic, like decent 3D performance. You could actually play games on this. Um, I'm more like this computer. This computer starts at forty three hundred dollars. 
if you want a if you want a keyboard and mouse, it's four thousand five hundred dollars. Give me this year's chip. What are you doing? Yeah, yeah for yeah. on a system that's that much money, it's like it, it's outdated the moment it goes on sale, and that's just that's insane to me. I feel like every time I do this, it's the Ralph Wiggum meme of just like breaking the designer's hearts. Like I could feel when my comment just like really gets them. But I also feel like this, um, the particular person I talked with, kind of agreed with me. It sounds like maybe it's their design process where they have to design so early. Where if you were designing this computer last year then you didn't have the 12 gen chips. You couldn't really prep for it. Um, and maybe Microsoft has too large of a turnaround for some of these products to really make faster ships work. But you're Microsoft. Deal, like, this is a problem you've had for years. Deal with it. Fix that. Fix that. And, like, and it's not like they, they don't work with Intel. Like, you know, they share information because some of the features, like, you know, hard, hardware and software rely on each other. And, like, you know, they they have some of this information. They have some of the roadmaps. They should have a better idea of what's coming in order to be able to select the proper components for the thing. And like to me, it's so frustrating because I just I still love the design of the Surface Studio. Um, I I for I, I've been saying for years I really wish Microsoft would just release that monitor as a standalone display. I would have one in my house instantly um, because it, people don't realize it's like not easy to get a really nice quality touchscreen that's that big and you know the way that it, you know tilts up and down it would be like super useful um and so it's like it just feels like wasted potential and that that is you know it just makes me sad it's it's very sad uh, one thing i did ask is like okay can you can you just like half the price can you give me this tilting screen can you give me a computer that is basically this maybe not as fast but more more like an imac and not like always the imac pro you know and it did there, there were some like knowing glances between people at Microsoft. There, like, okay, that that sounds interesting. It does sound. Last time that the last time that happened was when was right before they showed off the first Surface laptop. So I do feel like they they are planning new ideas and new things. But I I I don't know who this computer's for. It's for very rich people or people who are like you're you're an executive at a company and you have like an unlimited device budget and you're like get me that beautiful Microsoft desktop. That's who this is for, but not for normal people. It's definitely beautiful. And and the thing is, if they made that box underneath the Surface uh, Studio just a little bit bigger, I feel like they'd have a lot more room for like creative design or adding beefier components. And it's like, just, just G- give it me, doesn't need to be that that thin. Give me expandable compo- components. If I can plug an SSD uh, into an Xbox, why can't I do that in a computer? Why, why can't I just plug in more SSDs? You know, it was one good thing. This does have Thunderbolt 4. So you can plug in faster external storage. You can plug in external GPUs. Um, we've talked about why those things are kind of a bad idea, but it is an option with the Studio 2 Plus. To contextualize a little bit, Davindra, well, how much was the original Surface Studio? Like, I feel like it's jumped. It, it was also over $4,000. Like, it well, was it's also, expensive. so it's yeah, always, it's always been, it's always been expensive. expensive. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, I mean, to be fair, I mean, I think other companies also make similar AIOs. Like, I think we but saw not the at that price. one. Not, I, yeah. I think but the only the, thing is the yeah. iPad Pro. And then... The iMac Pro? Yeah. The iMac Pro. And then I think Microsoft was like, we're going to destroy the iPad Pro. And uh, yeah, iMac Pro. Uh, and then Apple was just like, uh, it turns out nobody wants it. It turns out the iMac Pro was a complete failure and we're just going to walk away from it. And nobody is giving Apple any shit over the iPad, like the iMac Pro at this point. Like it, it's it's a thing that happened. We'll forget about it and they'll move on. Microsoft has meanwhile mounted this full on assault against the iMac Pro, and nobody cares. 
Yeah. No, doesn't seem like it. Uh, really quick before I, we we wrap up the Studio Two Plus, uh, what other like new stuff about it is there? I heard uh, Kenta on in Kenta Kawaguchi in the chat says that there's Thunderbolt now. Two plus, that's nice. Is there anything yeah, I else? That I mean, is I good? mentioned that that gives you the faster yeah. uh, storage or external graphics. Right. Eleventh um, gen chips. It seems to be the main thing chips. that we're pissed about. Uh, RTX thirty sixty is nice. Um, if you are a creator who wants like a powerful machine, you're, you have to be a very specific person. You have to be like a three D artist or somebody who needs to use that tilting touchscreen. Otherwise, g- get a desktop. Get literally anything else if you just need power. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so that's the main hardware I think we saw. We also saw some like accessories, like the audio dock, the Presenter Plus controller, some uh, updates on the adaptive kits. Uh, did you, you know, did you guys see these devices there, or is there anything I think you I wanted to I saw the up? dock. It wasn't in use. It, it's pretty. It's a good idea to put like a dock plus make it a speaker. Yeah, it, it's a it's a better looking dock for like conference rooms, but this is not something that like you're gonna want to have at home. Yeah. Okay. So those two accessories sounded like they were, yeah, made for conference rooms, people who are doing presentations a lot, maybe. Um, but the software side of things, we talked just now about the designer app. We talked about a little bit about the Apple app integration. Is there like iCloud photo libraries, for example? Did any of this stand out to you all? Like, is this surprising? Is it a long time coming? I, I think it's a long time coming. Like the, the whole idea of like having walled gardens between ecosystems is just like extremely frustrating. So it's nice to see that like, oh, hey, we're going to do cross-platform support, which we should have probably always had. But um, I, I mean, so it, it's one of those better late than never things. But so it, it's hard to get too excited about it. I'm glad it's there, but it should have been here a long time ago. should have been here. I think about how bad iTunes still is in Windows. You know, iTunes does not exist on Macs or anywhere else at this point in Windows. It's it's horrific. It's just, you could still buy stuff. You could still play stuff, but it's like unresponsive. It's very slow. It crashes all the time. It's a disaster, but Apple doesn't care because it's windows. Someone put iTunes out of its misery. Um, but that seems like a good, like kind of roundup for now about the, the surface event. It's, it's, it's been a lot of news, but they also, kept we'll be hearing more tight. soon. Cause they're going to be throwing Ignite? these devices at us to review. Oh, so. Yeah, we'll mm-hmm. get them soon. Uh, yeah, I, I believe the official on sale date is October 25th, so not too long from now. So yeah, stay tuned for our testing, our impressions. Uh, but meantime, speaking of reviews, we got other reviews. Sam and I, Sam and I have been reviewing Pixel stuff, and our reviews went up yesterday, Wednesday, um, just after the Microsoft event. Sam, you handled the reviews for the Pixel Seven and Pixel Seven Pro, and I wrote up uh, the Pixel Watch. So. I guess the question everyone's been asking me, uh, and and for the record, I also have been using the Pixel 7 and 7 Pro. Well, mostly the 7 Pro. Question everyone's been asking me is, am I, you know, ready to main the Pixel 7 Pro? And I gotta gotta tell y'all, like that camera seems awesome. I read your review, Sam, and it was like, you seem to really like the cameras, but I haven't been playing with the cameras that much. It's like annoying. I'm just like, I wish I was more enamored with this phone, but Sam... You're the one who reviewed it. Tell me more about like what you feel about the Pixel 7 series. Basically, you know, this is like the second like generation of Google's like Tensor chip equipped phones. And so we're not getting a huge change in features, especially for the standard Pixel 7. Um, but, you know, we're getting a slight design refresh. I do think the phones look better than normal. I know, Sherlyn, you're still kind of on the fence about that one. But, you know, we, we do get uh, a, a new design refresh. Um, some new software features that are, are pretty nice. Um, you know, you stuff like direct my call where you can, you know, you, you 
you call like a big business and it'll throw up a text menu like right as soon as you connect instead of having to wait for the phone to listen to the audio, the uh, automated voice messages. Um, and, you know, general better photo processing, uh, Night Sight uh, just takes is way faster the, uh, because of the Tensor G2 chip. Uh, it can be uh, almost twice as fast just for the processing time. So on previous pixels, uh, depending on how dark it was, it would take up to six seconds uh, for a night sight photo. Now we're down to like three or four, unless you're doing like astrophotography mode. Um, and then for the uh, Pixel 7 Pro, we're getting new cameras. And so we're getting a longer 5X optical zoom, which is actually really great. Uh, because aside from the 10X optical zoom on the S22 Ultra, this is like the best zoom on a phone. And I think that's really like a good comparison point is that like, the Pixel 7 Pro starts at $899. That's uh, S22 Plus money. Um, and so you are getting a lot more uh, just photography prowess for the same money because otherwise you'd have to upgrade to the S22 Ultra, which starts at like $1,100. And it's kind of the same thing if you compare to Apple. It's the iPhone 14 Plus is the same price as the uh, Pixel 7 Pro instead of like the Pro Max, which is, again, starts at $1,100. Or even just the Pro. Which mm -hmm. is like nine ninety nine, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, okay. So when you mentioned the um the the night sight being faster, so I did try to test this because I was at situations where I had like diverse groups of people hanging out uh, and in groups, and so I wanted to test this real tone thing that they talked about too. But I, you know, I was we were taking a group photo. I we asked like a server to help us take the photo, and I was like, and it had night sight on, and she was like, oh no, this thing is taking forever. Why is it in night mode? Like she was still having trouble taking the photos. So, yeah, like, night I, sight I mean, I. I don't buy that as like a real complaint because Apple has their auto night mode too. And so if you take a, like a photo in low light and it, it will like, you'll see like a little like icon pop up, but like you'll still hold it and it takes like two to three seconds. So it's like, that's not necessarily like a complaint because it's happening on all, across all the phones. Samsung does it too, where they have an auto night mode and it takes two to three seconds if it's dark out. Okay, so it was in like I mean I I was in the picture waiting for her to waiting the shot for for the shot to process and it felt like it took longer but I will also admit that like that was one of the first that was like literally the day we picked up the review unit so it might have been that I hadn't run a software update yet um, I will also say that like caveat being that it was the day I picked up the review unit but the pictures that came out from that didn't seem like super improved in terms of real tone like yeah it, it's real tone like the improvements they say they add uh 10, 000 new images to the machine learning processing and you know it should be you know more uh more flattering to people with darker skins which is great but the effects i found are super subtle so i didn't you know it, it's nice that like they're continuing on to improve it but it's not the jump that we got last year from no real tone to having real tone um, and I think, actually, and I think that's kind of the story for the Pixel 7s as a whole, because there was a lot of changes that went into the Pixel 6 because of that jump to Tensor. And, you know, in this, this has also been like the whole like th uh, theme for this year is like the Pixel 7 Pro is a refinement of the Pixel 6, which was already a great phone. And they didn't mess with the pricing. They didn't mess with the design. They made it better. The screens are still great battery life is better and so it's like all around a slightly better phone you know you could kind of think of it as like an s year for the you know iphone people um and so it's it, it's just, just a really good phone and it's a better value than pretty much all the other flagships especially with the pixel 7 standard starting at 599 compared to like 800 for a basic iphone 
I, I also, I mean, I, I've watched your video, read your review. So I kind of know also that you're, you were talking a little bit about like battery life. Uh, but for the people in the, in the audience, what was the battery life like? It's about eight, just shy of 18 hours on our testing um, for the Pixel 7. And the Pixel 7 Pro actually gets slightly worse uh, battery life just because it has a bigger screen, higher res screen. Um, and a higher refresh rate. Um, it's 90 hertz on the Pixel 7, 120 hertz on the Pixel 7 Pro. So it's closer to about 16 and a half uh, hours on our testing. But, you know, I didn't really have an issue with like being having battery anxiety throughout the day. You know, I was still finishing the day with like 25% left or more regularly. Well, and you mentioned also it runs hot. Which something I noticed with the Pixel Hot, 6 Pro all the it's time. It's like, I mean, this is one of those relative things. I, I like, I noticed that like, you know, it doesn't have the same performance as you get from an Apple A-series chip or even a Qualcomm Snapdragon 8 Gen 1. And so like, if you're really pushing it, really playing ga uh, games under load, it does get a little warmer. It's like nothing more than like making your palms sweat a little bit. So it's like, it's like a thirstier chip, I guess. But like, you know, it's not... It, it, nothing dangerous. You're never gonna burn yourself uh, just by touching the back of the phone. Yeah. To be yeah. To be fair, I've never encountered that like dangerous levels of heat on on a Pixel Six Pro either. I do notice that they seem to run hotter than other phones. So maybe like a tensor thermal dissipation issue or like just the way it consumes power or generates heat. Um, Davindra, what do you think about the Pixel Seven? Because you always have these hot takes. Yeah. You I mean, me. we we talked about it. Sam and I talked about it a bit. I they're incredible. Like they, they look Yay. really good. One year, a good thing from Google uh, this year, uh, at least they look good. I haven't fully used them. Um, we were excited by a lot of the Pixel watches, but you know, like I said, like this is, if I had imagined HTC still existing and evolving over the years, like it would probably look like these phones. Yeah. All right. I mean, pivoting from the good Pixel to the bad Pixel. I mean, uh oh, are, we, are you, know, you going that far? Go, no, go. I'm not. I don't know if I'm going that I'm not, I'm not going to make too much fun of you, but you know, you can go ahead. You already tweeted out the way yeah. <laughs> you already tweet made fun of me. I'm uh, but, just reading a review, like every knowing how much you wanted to love the Pixel Watch, and I, I was just cackling. I was like, oh, Google, <gasps> small voice saying in, in, deep inside saying, "I told you so." Told you so. Uh, don't trust so, Google. Don't trust I'm Google. I'm so annoyed. Here's here's what happened. If y'all haven't read our Pixel Watch and and our Pixel Seven and Seven Pro reviews yet. Um, go on because there's a lot of detail in there that I might not be able to get into uh, during this segment. But yeah, so high hopes, right, for the Pixel 7, a Pixel Watch because it's been so long since we first heard rumors back in 2013 or earlier. So it's close to 10 years now. We've been hearing about a, a Google-made smartwatch. Uh, a lot of people ask me to compare this to a Moto 360 and I can tell you that's impossible. Moto 360s just don't run anymore. <laughs> Sorry. Can't turn them on. They're just not going to work. Um, but the, it is The dream of Moto 360, though. I feel like exactly. this is the dream of exactly. the Moto 360. Like, when we saw that, it was like, ooh, round smartphone. Yeah. Interesting. We were Android. so oh, hype. Right. So hot. Yes. The title of my review and the review video for this is Pixel, is, is Google and Fitbit's Imperfect Marriage. And I think that that is really what drives a lot of my disappointment with the watch. So let's start with the good, right? The good is that the hardware is great, right? It looks good. It, it fits nicely. I even the, wore it. Possibly yeah. the best looking smartwatch on the market. Absolutely. One of the prettiest, if not the prettiest smartwatch. I, I only I only have caveats because like, you know, Fossil does make some really nice looking watches, even though they're not as, you know, functional. Um, and, and there's some like Withings watches out there that are like hybrid that also look very nice. But as far as Wear OS watches go, 
up there. Um, but then we dig into the software. And this, at its core, runs Wear OS 3.5. So it's the Wear OS 3 that Google kind of co-engineered with Samsung. So like ties in, half ties in, half like Wear OS. And then it has its own watch faces with complications. So kind of borrowing ideas from Apple. And then you have fitness tr and health tracking courtesy of Fitbit. And I have to say courtesy of Fitbit because you can't escape the branding. It's not like after Google bought Fitbit and they merged, they were like, we're one family now. We're just going to say this is, you know, the baked in auto detection workout features. No, they have auto detection, but it's all under the Fitbit umbrella. You'll see very familiar Fitbit animations when you get like stand reminders. I mean, it's nice that you get stand reminders now because where it was just straight up didn't <laughs> before this. Um, Samsung and Apple already did, but my biggest problem with this, and it's, and I got real angry in our review video. If y'all haven't watched it, I think that's the angriest I've been in a review video ever, but I like was yelling for half of the video where I go like, why? So, so with Fitbit devices, I was already mad at this, but with Fitbit devices, they track your sleep, they track your whatever, they track all your data over, but, but, and, and you can go back and look at your data over time. But if you want to look at anything beyond a week or a month or whatever, you have to subscribe to Fitbit premium. That's $10 a month. That is some bullshit. Okay, never <laughs> mind. Never mind the fact that it is some bull on like Fitbit devices. I don't even, I, I'm like, I get it. There's the Pixel Watch. Yeah. What What are you getting? Like, what What are you paying for with premium? You, you, you. First of all, the device comes with six months of free Fitbit Premium. So when you're using it out of the box for the first six months, you get used to having this, like, all your data at your fingertips. Everything is a nice experience. And six months later, they yank the cord. You're not going to get all of this. So what you're going to lose is. Let's start with the stuff that doesn't really matter. Like, okay. Uh, free 200 over plus free workouts, guided workouts on your watch, um, free nutritional data, that sort of stuff. Uh, they get give you like more detailed insights and reports on how to better recover or yeah, meditation. Workout, workout readiness is one of the advanced features. Exactly. So readiness, your readiness score, which is based on how long you slept, how well you slept, how stressed you are. And then they minus off like how much you've worked out, whatever. They tell you how ready you are to take on the next day full of workouts or whatever. Sure. And then there's, you know, Deepak Chopra meditations. Those are under premium. You know what? Keep that under premium. I don't care. Keep it under premium. You know what they're taking away? They're taking away your sleep insights that are about what zone of sleep you're in. So your REM zone, your deep sleep zone. Just just freaking... I, I'm sorry. I got so mad during the, the recording of the video. I, I screamed. This is the part I screamed, which is that I get it if Fitbit wants to like keep their this part of the um the the sleep tracking under a paywall if if no one else in the market is doing it no one else in the market has been using your heart rate to detect which sleep zone you're in but apple 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 introduced this with watch os 9 this year and now it will do this for free if same same thing for samsung samsung has been it doing it for years so for dumb. years this is this is the stadia problem this is like google getting into a mindset of a thing like oh a subscription thing where um also uh yeah people may have to buy these games too like none of this makes sense but we're google we'll make it work um why i feel like for this if you buy the pixel watch just get these like you get it for life get the premium features for life that should be that mm -hmm. should be the deal you're google yeah, you can afford it 
And Sherlyn, you, you didn't get into the other bad part is sometimes you can't track your sleeping because the watch, the battery life is so bad, it just dies in the middle of the night. I was getting there because I was, I think, more pissed about this than the bad battery life, which I'm like, that can't be. I, the bad battery life is much, because I've been testing this too, it's a much bigger issue for me, I think. Yes, it definitely is also a big feature. And these are the two things that kill the Pixel Watch, right? These are the two big cons in our review. We start off listing the con, the biggest con is the battery life, yes, but I am more in sensed, I think, by the Fitbit Premium thing, because to me, that is such an easy thing to fix. To me, you can straight up fix that right now. Fitbit and Google, I know you're listening to me. You can fix this right now. Don't- Sher- Sherlyn's begging. She's angry. She's angry begging. They know because I've already communicated this to them. And I got a statement from them, which more or less, uh, the, the, the general gist of the statement is that they're continually assessing what goes into Fitbit Premium and what doesn't. So listen, y'all know I love you. I say this with the best for, intentions. For whatever reason, yeah. For whatever reason, because I like them. Um, y'all can take the sleep tracking, the, the sleep zones thing, immediately remove it from Fitbit Premium and put it right into basic. Start with that. And then do the uh, long-term reports thing. Take that out of premium because this is my data. This is my workout history. If I can go into Apple Fitness and scroll the summary, like the, the see my movement rings for all eternity, I... That it, and, and, and if I can't do it on a Pixel watch, then I'm sorry, but I'll always stick with Apple. I will right. stick it, with it, whoever it's, gives it's, me my data. It's a point where you're not having a competitive feature set against the watches that you're trying to beat out. And that it's just like, well, okay, you're just you're just missing stuff. And this is stuff that, like, as you said, you could fix. I, I bet, and I can see some Google managers being like, well, you know, that's not how pr- uh, Fitbit Premium works, guys. Uh, we can only offer certain things. You make the rules. You control all of this. You can choose to open it up. Yeah. It's like they realize that if they don't force some of these more important features into premium, that nobody is going to pay for premium, right? Because who's going to pay the $9.99 a month, $10 a month for the Deepak Chopra Medicaid? There's an accountant somewhere who thinks this is a really good idea. And they're like, and everyone else is like, I know there's other people who in the, in the company who don't want to do this, but like the, the bean pushers or the bean counters has been like, well, we can, we can scrape a little bit of extra money out of people. And it's like, not only is that just like really mean to the customers, you're not engendering any goodwill. It's that, towards that's ultimately products. it's, it's maybe accounts. I would say more like the middle managers that a lot of these big tech companies are filled with where like, I'm sure they have people under them yelling at them the same things you are, Sherlyn. And I think they're like, I got to push this product out the door. Um, It's the people who work at Fitbit that have the premium thing for free that don't realize how annoying it is to have to pay Netflix money to get your own data because they can see it. They're like, oh, premium is great, but they don't actually have to pay for it because they work at the company. So they're like, oh, I got all these features. Yo, premium is great. I love that meditation. That I'm sorry, I keep harping on the Deepak Chopra meditation, but it's, I think it is the one. meditate, bro. I Maybe. Think, I think he's. Uh, yeah. This, this made After me really this. pissed off. But what made me disappointed was the battery life. To Sam's point, um, you had one he, job last, last through the night. Well, so here's, here's the line that I said in my review video too, which is that like Google said it would pr- run for 24 hours. Like the runtime is 24 hours. But that has to be with a lot of caveats. It does not, <laughs> Sam is shaking his head vigorously. It does not last 24 hours by any means because to, I think to last 24 hours, you have to turn off the always on display you cannot be tracking anything at all every day at all just don't track a thing uh do not get any notifications probably right because just don't use lte yeah so to be fair i didn't use lte i didn't even set up a cellular and i was getting like maybe 12 hours of juice 
uh, that runtime is with always on display with like, I, I usually do about three workouts a day, two of which are outdoor walks. So not really a real workout, but like GPS is sort of running. Right. And then step tracking is happening in the background all the time. The heart rate sampling, I feel like is one of the reasons their battery life suffers so much. They're sampling heart rate at once every second, which is more frequent than the competitors. Fine. I get that. And I actually like that, but not at the, you know, trade-off of like battery life. Uh, Google also said that they did like have a dedicated coprocessor that's lower power for the, for the um, features like always on display and heart rate sampling and that sort of stuff that would normally drain your battery life, but it doesn't seem to be doing all that much. Um, the other thing is what Sam was alluding to, sleep tracking overnight. Your Google said you need to make sure your watch is at least 30% charged to track your sleep, right? Be sure to charge your watch before bed, everybody. Yeah, cool. Uh, but in Sam's experience, if you didn't, if you only have 30%, but first of all, 30% is a lot for a watch that doesn't last all day to have at the end of the day. Uh, when I got home yesterday, I was like, 17%. I was like, well, there's no way I'm wearing this to bed now, but never mind. Sam was rightly saying that like he had like you had what like close to 30%, and then when you woke up was dead. Yeah, it was like like between like the 20, 26-27%. Yeah. So you were close to 30%. So I guess you didn't have at least 30%, but I did. And when I wake up the the like, yes, I get my sleep reports or whatever, but you do definitely need to charge your watch before bed and even after you wake up. Because it is using that battery when you when it's and, tracking and your sleep. That's what makes me mad. Is like now you're babysitting the phone because you're like, I, I don't want one more thing that I have to think about charging all the time. And it's like, so, and I've been thinking about this more. It's like there's there needs to be like two ways that smartwatch charging works. You either charge it every day at the same time. Or you have a, bat- uh, a watch that lasts multiple days and you don't have to worry about it like on, as a regular thing. You just charge it when it's low. I, I, know, and- I know how Google's going to fix this, guys. They're going to give you a charging thing that you can wear in bed and just have a nice cable. Just attach, absolutely attach not. your just strap absolutely in bed. Not. And uh, as you roll around at night, it gets tangled around and make it over your neck or something. But you know what? There's oxygen sensors. So the Pixel Watch will alert you if it's still you has if you're getting choked. Freaking troll. You troll. I'm <laughs> I can't saying, even with you right now, Dev. <laughs> I, I, Google, I Google this problem. Like, I Google solved it and, as and, an engineer. And so, yes. And, and so the other thing that, like, really makes me annoying is that, okay. Like say say like you have to have thirty percent charge before you go to bed, or else the phone or, or else the watch dies uh, before you wake up. Okay, that's bad. But the thing is that like last night I uh, was at like seventeen percent charge left, and I'm like, okay, now I'm in a position where I have to charge the watch before I go to bed. But the other issue is that charging takes so long. Yep. It takes. I think it's ninety minutes to go from. No, it's like, eighty. 80 minutes, 80 from minutes zero to go to from, from yeah. dead to full. Yeah. And it's like, so now I have to time when I put the watch on the charger to like make sure that it's charged before I go to sleep. And it's just like, I'm just managing too much stuff. And it's like, I don't want to. And so what I ended up doing is I just put it on the charger and I left it on the charger all night and I didn't get sleep. I do, I do love the idea from AXBX in the chat of a wireless charging bed. Where ah. oh yeah that'll keep it charged like it'll charge slowly, me overnight slowly yeah being microwaved overnight just to keep Hul- our smartwatches power our live stream producer Julio has a great even better idea actually he's like just get two watches obviously day That's watch true. and night That's watch true. honestly that is that is a thing um, I remember reading about people doing like uh, tech executives would have two phones or something would have their office phone and then their like outside phone you know on the so, side piece phone yeah. and the yeah, yeah. In, inside inside watch outside yes. watch. 
Look, I, I want to point out also that the, the thing about the charging speed is I didn't feel like it was that slow for the first maybe like 30%, right? Because Sam Sam and I actually met up over the weekend during the review window and uh, we were at the player and I had to go to the gym and I was like, oh crap, my watch is at 3%. So I left Sam and his wife and his son uh, and I ran to my gym to plug in the watch, left it there, ran out to hang out with them again and 15 minutes later went to class, right? In that 15 to like 18 minutes, it got from 3% to like 36%. So I was for, actually- Okay, but the, but the issue is that you, did you just explain your, your, your sequence of events? We were like, I was at the playground with my, with my family. And then you came, you know, you came and stopped by and we were chatting. And he's like, oh, I have to leave in the middle of the conversation to go to the gym to put the watch on the charger. And then you came back and then you left again 15 minutes later. It's like, that's, that, that's an insane sequence. So of seamless. So seamless, guys. Yeah. It yeah. would have been nice if I hadn't had to like leave in the middle. But anyway, we, you know, our deeper thoughts uh, on the Pixel Watch, Pixel 7 and Pixel 7 Pro are all on Engadget.com. Go check them out. And if you have any questions about these products, because, you know, I have feels and thoughts. You can always hit us up, podcast at Engadget.com. Uh, but yeah, I mean, look, I think we're nearing the end of review season. I'm very excited for that. Uh, for so me, it anyway. says you, yeah. Yeah, for me, anyway. Yep. <laughs> I'm not going to partake in any of the Microsoft you, you, stuff. You, uh, uh, we may have some Apple stuff we're hearing about eventually. Aha, uh-huh, yes, yeah. rumors. Yeah, iPad time is going to happen eventually, so who knows? Well, stay tuned for that. So that wasn't... The only big news that happened this week, as I mentioned earlier, we had a Facebook slash meta event. And in addition to a bunch of meta related news, like metaverse related news, we also are getting a new headset. And Sam, you saw this in person, right? Tell me all about it. Yeah. So uh, about a week and a half ago, I got a chance to go to the uh, Facebook building in New York City or sorry, meta uh, building in New York City and got to try out the Quest Pro. Um, And... It, this this headset is like I, I'm almost embarrassed how much I like it because it's like there's so much cringy aspects about the metaverse, but the hardware is incredible. It's it's the it's the perfect blend of the Quest Two was such a good VR headset because it was cheap, it was easy to use, it was lightweight, it was comfortable, and then the Quest Pro just adds everything to that. But then the performance is so much better, and the like the they've increased the resolution and it kind of sits on your head like a visor so it's not like it's not huge and clunky and it's a standalone thing so you don't need to have a big beefy uh a gaming pc and a wire running from the headset to the pc just to use it it honestly looks and, more like a magic leap now than a, yeah. Than a vr mm-hmm. headset. yeah can you yeah, describe yeah. the way it looks by the way yeah and so um so one of the big things is that that you're using new pancake optics so it kind of uses that like uh, re- the light reflects uh, back in on itself. So they were ma- able to make the front of the headset 40% thinner um, compared to the uh, Quest 2. So it's much more lightweight. And so there's a big, you know, visor with like, a, you know, reflective plastic in the front and uh, a headband that goes around back. And like, there's just a lo- really lot of innovative design on there because, you know, they wanted to make it comfortable, but itself, it's, you know, it's a standalone system. So they had to put a battery in the thing. And it needs more power than the Quest 2. So what they did is they added a curved battery to the back of the headband so it wraps around your head. And you don't have this big, chunky battery pack sitting on your head. And then on top of that, like, you know, there's all, obviously there's built-in speakers and they support spatial surround sound. And it, it's just it's really lightweight. And just you put it on, there's a little dial in back to adjust the fit. And then you can move the eye cups around to uh, change IPD. And it's just it's really easy to use. 
And like it, it was kind of funny because like I would put it on, and some of like the Facebook or Meta product managers would be like, "Oh, you, you, you like they were like saying, oh, you just got it right away.'" And it's like you you can be up and running in two three seconds. It's it's that easy. Um, and then they you know there are also some some thoughtful accessories because there's little light blockers that attach magnetically onto the side of the thing. So if you you know want to don't want people like peeking in on you or you don't want to block out more light. So you get really immersive experience. You can do that too. And it comes with a wireless charging dock that charges both the headset and the controllers. And then on top of that, the controllers are new. Um, and so instead of having that big loop with uh, LEDs around the outside of the controller, there are sensors uh, built into the controller. So it does uh, hand tracking and finger tracking. And then there's 10 sensors on the headset itself. So you get a full color pass through, which is really kind of surprisingly good. And then there's sensors on the inside that look at your face. So you uh, it uh, supports stuff like foveated rendering. So you're not wasting processing power, generating visuals on the stuff in, your, in the sides of your vision. That's full on eye and, tracking, right? So that's yeah, that's yeah. Big. And so that's mm-hmm. that's using eye tracking to do foveated rendering, and it also does eye tracking to see you know your eye movements and facial tracking so it you know if you lift your eyebrow or if you make a face it does that and so that kind of transfers into meta's avatars oh i mean speaking of the meta of meta's avatars there's more to get into there i am sure but um i just want to point out that you said pancakes and now i'm hungry but anyway yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. every time we talk about pancake lenses oh, sorry man I know, but no, Sam, you, and you check these out in person, right? Like, were you able to experience visually, like, what this looks like? Yeah, and so uh, I did, we did eight different demos, um, and the, the optics are surprisingly sharp. The screen door effect is almost completely eliminated. If you have good vision, you will see, like, a little faint outline, but, you know, given that it's a standalone headset, I, I really don't have a ton of complaints about it. Refresh rate goes up to 90 hertz, and it's just, like, it's a really easy experience. Now, I've never been someone who, like, gets, like, VR-induced nausea, so, like, I'm probably not the best person to ask in terms of, like, does your stomach feel okay? I felt fine the whole time. Um, it, it was just, like, very easy to use. Um, and, you know, I, I was also really surprised by, like, the precision of it. So part of the uh, job of those external cameras is that there's something uh, that Meta's calling scene understanding. So when you put it on... The, the headset scans your room and it knows where the walls are. It knows where door openings are. It knows where the ground is. And so you don't need lighthouses like you do with a Valve Index. But on top of that, it's like if you're doing something like VR painting and you like you get done painting your thing. Like when I was there, I did like a little Bob Ross painting. You can take the painting with the controller and just pin it to a wall. And it pins exactly where the wall is. So that if like, hey, someone else is like wearing a headset and they walk in the room, they'll see that painting on the wall in their headset too. There's a camera right on the controller, which is just like, yeah. And then like for other stuff, like there's another um, app where I was taking uh, GIFs from Giphy and just pinning them all around virtual space. And it's like, so you walk into a room, it's like I had Mario's dancing on the, on the ceiling and then there's Yoshi's running around on the ground. And it's like, it's just kind of, it's really impressive how well... Facebook has integrated that stuff, especially coming from the Quest 2, which is like a pretty low power machine but versus like pretty well really expensive heavy headsets. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm looking forward to testing this, Sam. Like I'm jealous. You got the, you got all this great hands-on experience. Um, hopefully they can just send us like multiple headsets. I think to, they to, can. Yeah, I, they, they, they better. Because I, I yeah. think, and the other thing is like you need multiple people to test this out because obviously part of the other like selling point, and this is like a big selling point, that's going to be hard to convince people to do is that like 
they want people to work in VR now. So they have Horizon Workrooms, which is like their kind of virtual office setup. And it, I was like kind of shocked because like my first demo was like them teaching me how to use the headset and stuff like that. And it's like they had Meta product managers talking. It's like, and I could see him like he was raising his eyebrows. I could see like when he would like get like excited about something because his eyebrows were raised. I could see him smiling and like, you know, instead of like he was like, oh, do you, do you, do you understand this? And I would just go, I, I would nod. And I didn't have to say verbally yes, because your reactions come through and it's like. It takes a lot of like, they're, they're, like for anyone who's used like old VR headsets, there's a lot of like mental translation you need to do to like figure out how to communicate what you do normally in real life into VR because the headset was not capturing that data. But now the Quest Pro is really doing that in a way that's like, oh, I feel a lot more like I'm talking to someone. And then, you know, if you want to have sh have a shared virtual office you can have like people sitting around the desk and it's like, Sherlyn, I know, you, I know, I don't know how much of a VR person you are, but I know you're like the number one person. Like you love like at trade shows, you're like, like getting in a room with like a whole bunch of people and like you're, everyone's working on their stories and like you're, you're sharing, like, it's kind of like you're in the trenches together. Right. And it's like, but with now people working remotely, you don't have that kind of thing. But it's like, I, I was like, kind of like weirdly enthusiastic about like using a virtual office space to like, you know, have a workroom situation that, even though we're not in the same physical space, you can kind of do that. During the pandemic, I almost made like Chris Velasco and like Sam and our other friend Julian just do a hangout call where I could leave it on in the background and we could work together like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I yes. mean, that is that I know people who do that just for like their their drivers, right? And they drive all day. They will leave a FaceTime call on with their best friends or their partners or something and just like just have that connection all day. I don't know if we need VR for that. Is the is the thing? Yeah, and I think I. I definitely think there's like, that's the hard selling point is that, um, you know, you don't necessarily need VR for that. But part of the like thing, the thing about Horizon Workrooms is like, they're trying to do it so that, and it was an intentional design to leave part of your peripheral vision open by default so that they want people to like work in VR and like work in real life with people and not feel like it's hard to do. And that's part of where that pass through camera comes in and still being able to peek out the size of the goggles. Um, and so, and, and on top of that, like, you know, this is kind of a, like a building on some of the previous Horizon Workroom stuff. It's like, you can also connect, um, the headset to a PC and then you can use all your PC app, not all of your PC, but like supported PC apps, including some like Adobe stuff, um, and like, you know, Chrome and, and, you know, general web browsing so that you can have, like, you can be typing on a physical keyboard and it shows up in the goggles but you still have that physical keyboard. You're not like, you know, just touching some piece of the desk and you can use your mouse. And it's, it's the way that they're blending the virtual space and real space is, is really interesting. And then they also have like the ability to do cutouts. So you can see like your whole virtual office and then you have a window in your virtual office into real life so that you can see people walking by or you can see the keyboard in front of you if you need to do That's that. That's super. I mean, so I, I tested out a whole bunch of the workroom stuff uh, like last year, I think. And it was pretty basic on the Quest 2. Like at one point, I think I told you guys the story, but Mark Zuckerberg was like sitting right next to me. And then um, it is very weird to have the experience of like, oh, yeah, he He's just right there because the audio proximity and everything made it feel very, very similar. But then I was watching the like recorded video of the meeting and my avatar was just doing like, 
crazy hands, <laughs> like just doing like dancing jazz hands. And, because, and that's the thing is like the Quest yeah. 2 didn't have the hardware to deliver the experience that would make people want to work in VR. And so like a lot of people's like, see, it's like, oh, the, the avatars look janky, motions look janky. And it's just like, it was, it was like not a great experience. And so like, you know, I, when I talked to um, one of the product leads at Meta, they're just like, they think they really, they really strongly believe that the the Quest Pro is like, it's like if you build it, they will come. They needed to make this headset in order to work with the software in a way that doesn't feel completely janky. Yeah, but it's like more like, what if you build it and they do, they don't come? Yeah. You know, because right. and, that's, and yeah, and that's the other big question is like, yeah. e- even as good as the hardware is, it's still a big gamble to be like. Is this what's going to make people want to work and live in VR? And I, I can't. I don't, I, don't, so I, think, I don't know if people really want to do that. Is the thing? I think like, yeah. Go ahead. One big part of whether or not people will buy into this is exactly that the pricing, right? This is fifteen hundred dollars. How much more this is, not is that compared yeah. to the Quest Two? The, the Quest Two starts at four hundred dollars. Yeah, they just raised yeah. the price. So now, yeah, they they, they recently raised the price, and. and and so it was funny because I was like during the like the Meta Connect live stream, I was watching it and I was like watching the chat be like, please make the price good, please make the price good. It's like people were guessing like seven hundred dollars, eight hundred dollars. And then at the end when they yeah. said fifteen hundred dollars, everyone was just like well, buy. Guys, yeah. we're we're buying phones now that cost fifteen hundred dollars up to two thousand dollars. So if you if you want you want the groundbreaking VR tech, you want it to be light, you want it to have good battery life, pay up. You unfortunately gotta pay up. My thing is I don't, I don't, I'm, I think Meta will figure out the hardware because the Oculus folks were always good with headset hardware. It's more like, what is this for, right? I don't believe in the metaverse they're pitching. Um, so, yeah. I mean, kind of speaking yeah. about uh, of that, we were, I was about to like sort of segue into this when Sam was talking about the whole, like they want you to share a workspace thing, but uh, add Meta Connect to uh, Meta did announce things like it's integrating Zoom and Microsoft Teams into the VR workspace, which... I don't know how that necessarily will work, but okay. Yeah, I don't. I, people don't want to work wearing a headset like that. That's a fundamental thing. Like it, it sucks. What? Yeah, I'm. Yeah, I'm wearing headphones now for this podcast, and I can't wait to it's, throw them it's, off. It's like annoying. I'm like, I'm I mean, done. I, I could see the the sort of like novelty of it, and or also if like you were working remotely and the rest of your team was somewhere, it's like the only way for you guys to sit sit maybe virtually side by side. I, I did this too in the HoloLens too. And just like have a feeling of being together. Sure, we can't expect everybody to want this. Uh, this would have to be something your job buys for you and has to support for the entire company. Right, so, so let me working. let me throw yeah. out this hypothetical situation, future, future sci-fi situation, where, you know, how like, you know, you get a new job and your company gives you a corporate laptop. But what if in the future, like, they just give you a headset because you can work in the headset. You can have virtual screens. You can have like four, like hundred inch screens in virtual reality. And then that's your work machine. Granted, a lot of people are not going to like this. uh, And I don't expect them to, but it's like before it was just like, this was like a crazy thought. And now it's like, at least the hardware is there where you can see, oh, this is possible. But at the same time, it's like, there's a big kind of divergence between Oh, this is great hardware, and then people's general feelings about Facebook slash Meta, and I think it's like, on some level, if this was coming from literally any other company, there would be probably a lot more positivity about this in general. But like, yeah, and and like to what Devinder was saying, the the metaverse as uh, Zuckerberg and um, Meta, the company, has kind of described it. 
has been somewhat off-putting, especially like some of the early early Avatar stuff that just like were kind of scary and just weird, uncanny valley. Well, nonsense. well, well. Speaking of Avatar stuff, they also announced that Avatars are getting important feature legs. Dun, 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 dun. What? Okay, I mean, looks. I, I I suspect that like every time I watch a, a trailer about some of this Meta Connect news, I see I see what looks like Zuckerberg in like doing some sort of like keynote speech, and I wonder if it's his avatar. I wonder if like maybe that's why he's got this huge push into the metaverse because that's where he feels most at ease. He 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 himself is a simulation. He himself feels most I mean, comfortable. It's, it's like in a VR. lot of computer geeks. You're most comfortable in front of the monitor. But I also like this is what I keep trying to get back to is like his. We see how desperate they are, and I feel like everybody is turned off by that desperation. It's like somebody who wants to try too hard to be your friend, you know, even though they may be very well-meaning. It's like, bruh, just just ease it off a little. Maybe don't rename your whole company after this ideal that may not ever actually happen, because I do think... Hey, I've reviewed all the VR headsets. They're all right behind me. I want a lot of this to succeed. I don't want to live in VR. I don't want to, like, only exist there. It's a fundamental misunderstanding of the way we interact with technology, right? Like, it's a lack yeah. of human understanding, which seems very on point for a Zuckerberg-led company. Um, so, you know, update, uh, the avatars are getting legs, so they, they really know what the people want, and, and, and they're going for it. I mean, the, the whole floating torsos thing was never going to work. They had to do this, and I'm actually sort of surprised that they had announced it before, like, stuff like this, because that's that's part of, like... You're showing something and you're showing something to people that's very incomplete and you're just making – you're kind of giving a bad impression. Whereas like people see like the, the, the avatars look better. They, the, the fidelity is much better and now they just feel like less alien because of the legs thing. It's a small thing that like – you know, you still can't control your legs because you're in VR. But like at the same time, it's like you needed that to feel nor- more, more normal. Yeah, so so there's been a lot of news out of Meta Connect, and for all of the details, like I said, you can check out Engadget.com. We had a lot of people doing breakouts and coverage. Uh, go check it out. So uh, as if there wasn't enough going on this week, Samsung was all like, oh yeah, no, Microsoft Day is a very good day to do our Samsung developer conference. So... There was a Samsung developer conference exactly on Microsoft Day. I think it started at 1 p.m., which is when... it's still going on. I think there's a day two today as well. Absolutely. So there's still more news to look out for uh, on on, uh, today, Thursday, when we're recording this podcast. Sam, I saw you wrote up the news about Samsung and Google teaming up on smart home uh, ecosystem stuff. You want to tell us what Samsung announced? Yeah, and so this is kind of building off uh, Matter, which is like the new like universal smart home protocol that like all the big companies are uh, you know supporting. And so Samsung uh, announced an expanded partnership with Google to make onboarding and setting up smart home devices a little bit easier. And this is like a really just great quality of life improvement because you know right now there are uh, a bunch of smart home devices that like only work with the Google Home app or only work with a SmartThings app. And a lot of times, if you, uh, you know, onboarded a device into one ecosystem, you could not use the other app to control it. So what Samsung and Google are partnering up to do is that if you have a device set up in Google Home, 
if you boot up Samsung Smart Things, you'll get, just get a little notification saying, oh, let's import all the settings so you don't have to manually do it over again. And it works vice versa. So if you open up Smart Things and you have a whole bunch of stuff, or, in, or sorry, you open up Google and you have a whole bunch of smart things in Smart Smart Things, then it'll kind of just cross populate. And that's just like, this is this is the whole reason why you know people were like uh, you know kind of excited for Matter because Matter has kind of an expanded feature set and so uh, Matter has multi admin uh, support which is what kind of enables uh, you to be able to switch between ecosystems or switch between smart home apps without like having to redo all your settings and it's just like no one like I, I I'm a, like a big smart home enthusiast but like no one wants to like take hours to like. I have to program in the settings for my lock. I have to, pro and the more the more smart home gadgets you get, the more tedious it becomes. And so that uh, is, I think, a really positive side for anyone who likes smart home stuff. Yeah, this sort of also ties in vaguely to like Google's announcement last week about revamping the Google Home app to make just things more easy to kind of ingest into its ecosystem. Speaking of Google, I know we're not really talking about Google right now, but you know, earlier this week, like I said, again, like there's not been enough news. Earlier this week, there was a Next event, Google's Next, where it announced some updates to Workspace as well. Like uh, Google Meet will be able to automatically transcribe your meetings and provide you a transcription at the end uh, and some other news there. We won't go into detail here but you can like i said go to Engadget. that's a big upgrade for all like the interns at like the big nah. companies who like whose only job was to like take down meeting notes yeah uh yeah. google meets doing it for you so uh maybe you can have like do something more productive and i will also say google's transcription isn't that bad it's pretty it's pretty accurate better than most youtube better than most other auto-generated transcriptions so sorry and also yeah goodbye poor interns are maybe out of a job but maybe you can channel that time into something more productive um, but like I like like we just mentioned, the Samsung Developer Conference is still ongoing, so there will be more news and uh, not. I think maybe more smart home related news. Will we see a Bixby speaker? You never know. Uh, but stay tuned to Engadget.com uh, for the actual uh, news coming out of that show. Now speaking of Google, again, like I said, like again, it's like I'm sorry, but I have been very pissed at Google this week. The, the, the amount of piling up yeah. uh, in the last week and a half has just been outrageous. In the last month, like first we had that search on event where it was like maps and whatever and whatever as we were preparing for the Pixel event and then we got the Pixel event and then we had the Pixel reviews and then this week it was the Workspace event and they announced this week they're making Chromebooks that are built for cloud gaming. So uh, resident Chrome OS nerd Nathan Ingram Deputy Editor Nate Ingram, uh, wrote up this piece of news. Basically, there's just three new laptops from Asus, Acer, and Lenovo. These are three new Chromebooks that are going to, you know, they're the purpose built for cloud gaming, and they won't support just Google's own cloud gaming, which doesn't exist anymore. There's no more Stadia, RIP, 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 Well, rip. as of next year. It's, as of it's, it's still limping along for the next couple months. Okay, thank you. I, I didn't realize that. I thought it was dead, dead, dead. But uh, this, will, yeah, this will allow your... Um, Chromebooks to be machines for PC games and like do a lot of that uh, processing in the cloud because yeah, cloud gaming. So it's an interesting development. We don't know exactly how good these machines will be. Uh, and I think that Nate uh, is going to prioritize getting his hands on one of these to test out for us. Um, there's a lot of partnerships uh, that have been announced. For example, GeForce Now, I believe, is one of them. Yeah, the devices will work with GeForce Now, Amazon's Luna, and Xbox Game Pass. So 
I don't know. I mean, it sounds promising. I just, I think we've all been very burned by Google this week that we're not sure how yeah, confident I, I, I'm, I'm not as like quite as pessimistic as you because, you know, Google has sort of been building towards this um, for a little while because, you know, they added support for Android apps so you can play all your, and, your Android games on Chromebooks, which is great. And then they added support for playing games via Steam on Chrome OS which is kind of nice. So it's like they're starting to add more pieces to the puzzle. Chrome OS is starting to be like a slightly more full-featured OS. Um, so I, I like the idea in theory. My problem is that like anytime I get on a Chromebook, like I'll inevitably be using it and it'll be like one thing I can't do and I'm just like, uh, I'm, I'm done with this. And it's like, it's like, I was trying to install a VPN on a Chromebook the other day and it's just like, no, it, like we don't do this. You have to figure out a completely different solution. And I'm like, Oh, okay. I'll just go back to my normal laptop and be fine. Yeah, I, I, I mean, to to add on to what you're saying too, like uh, Google's ops also optimizing Chrome OS to make launching games easier. So if you just uh, type in the name of the game that you want to play in that like sort of start menu style um, button, you can just find the game and launch it. You don't have to go like into Steam first and then find the game title and then pull it up, or you don't have to go into like Xbox Game Pass and then find. You should be able to find it. Um, more easily and seamlessly for starters it will only work with the geforce now catalog and the google play store apps but it wants to add this for the other services as well and then uh you know all three laptops that were announced uh this week will also come with a three-month subscription to the geforce now rtx 3080 tier as well as three months of amazon luna plus uh, and then the Asus laptop will come with also a free Steel Series Rival 3 gaming mouse. So lots of like benefits, uh, it seems like, to entice people into buying into this idea that Chromebooks can be gaming machines. But I guess we'll have to see. So I would say stay tuned Engadget, to Engadget.com. We will have the full reviews of one of these laptops, at least, uh, from Nate uh, very soon. Now, speaking of new laptops and stuff just going on and on and on this week... There was a second Prime Day this year, and it's happening this week. Why, 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 why are we talking about this? Because deals, deals, deals. I just want to say that yesterday was the early access day for Prime Day, and then today, I think onwards, is, is Prime Day. So head on over to Engadget.com to check out we, you know, Valentina I, I, I just, I think, I think, I, I think, okay, I think it's important that you mentioned it, but I'm also very angry at Amazon because we already have one Prime Day a year. Why do we need a second one? It's like enough. Like pick pick a day, and that you can, you can have that day or two days because Prime Day is actually like multiple days now. Um, just do do your thing. Like before, it was like kind of cute because it was like Christmas in July, right? Like you get some deals on stuff in the summer, and now we have. Oh, I guess it's holiday season. We have to have another Prime Day. Uh, it's it's too much. And uh, like Julio rightly points out, uh, our live stream producer Julio rightly points out in our chat, he's like, uh, he's also been getting so many notifications for this Amazon Prime Day thing. It's like, I I'm done. I like I first of all, the the, the way it affects me and my work is that our team has had to work hard to write up all these deals posts to alert our readers and our audience to good deals happening, which is a nice service that we want to do. But then it also means that we're too taxed to do anything else on this literal week, which started with Columbus Day, making it a, sh a shorter day for a lot of people in the industry. Like we didn't I, get a I swear off. there's some like skull and bones meeting in like the woods somewhere, ah. where like all the executives ah. could be like, yo, we're going to make the two, first two weeks off October. 
October, just like completely nuts with uh, everything. And and but like but you know just these two weeks because I don't know for some reason we're gonna just like avalanche everybody with all the announcements. Uh, and I want to correct. I stand corrected. It's not Columbus Day. That's uh, outdated way of saying it. It should be Indigenous Peoples Day. My apologies. Um, but yeah. So no, it, it's like I've been saying this already. Like get together tech companies and, and sort your shit and talk to each other and Google one event, one event, maybe two, maybe two events in the month of October. And that's all but you, you get. You have to space them out. That's all you get. I don't even space them out. Put all your news in one event. Stop trying to do all these multiple, multiple things. I don't, you, you reach out to me for one more briefing and they already have reach out to me for one more briefing. I swear to God, I will throw some poo at some walls. Just real quick, something I've been working on. Uh, go check out my review of the NVIDIA RTX 4090, which is the friggin' biggest video card I've ever seen. It is huge. This thing weighs five pounds. It takes up three PCIe slots. It is, uh, it, it's a tank. It's uh, pretty much as big as the Xbox Series X. Uh, honestly, it's like comparable to the PlayStation 5. Like it's approaching that size. Um, it is a big, big boy. I had to install a whole new power supply to test this and also some new P uh, CPUs. So I have a 1000 watt power supply because of this. It required four little power cables. I don't know if you've noticed like if you've had to plug in a, a video card recently, they take, you need to have extra power in straight from your power supply. This needs four, four of those cables. It's just a monstrosity. Okay. But, but yeah. Devinder, the big question is, was all of that worth it? Yes. It's oh, so okay. fast. It's so, it is ridiculously fast. I mean, the benchmarks are great. It's, it's, yeah, yeah. You could, you could do 4k, uh, at 120 FPS, uh, with ray tracing with DLSS. That's their like AI way to upscale all this stuff. The dreams of like, whatever you want, turn on all the graphical stuff. Uh, they do come true with this video card. Do you need it? Is the question. And I don't, yeah, honestly, for most gamers, I think you will be like, man, that's a really nice Ferrari. I, I couldn't, I couldn't live with that in my life. Like it wouldn't, I don't have space in my driveway. I can't live on like 10 miles per gallon. You know, I need to fit my family. Um, realistically, I don't think this is a good GPU for a lot of people, unless you're like a super pro gamer or you're a content creator, because you could probably do a lot of good rendering work with this card. Um, but we're going to see the 4080s, uh, which start, I believe, at 899. Um, the 4070s are going to happen eventually. This generation looks like it's going to be very, very powerful. So my recommendation is to uh, maybe wait to see how those cards kind of pan out. Um, also, you'll probably want a Steam Deck or something. And those things you can just buy now. There's no more queue for the Steam Deck. I just picked up one and uh, I have not had much time to play with it. But man, just the, just the like... I turn on a thing and there's steam and I hit, I hit no man's sky. And five minutes later, I'm playing no man's sky in my five bed. minutes. Yeah. Well, I, I have fast internet. Um, but yeah, I, I can download games really, really fast. I have gigabit internet over here. Um, but yeah, it downloaded, installed. I'm in and I'm playing this thing. It's big and it's unwieldy, but I do feel like for a lot of people, PC gaming will be better if you could, maneuver around the house bring it make it more portable maybe not always with you when you're going for a walk but 
just being able to take it away from my computer, I think is a big thing. So yeah, I like the 4090, but wait for your next purchase. Uh, this is not the GPU everybody should buy. Well, the, the rest of the stuff me and Sam are working on is just struggling not to die. I do want to shout out that tomorrow is Sam Rutherford's birthday. So everybody send Yay. him your birthday wishes and he'll be Happy taking the birthday. day off rightfully so. All right, let's move on to what we can do to enjoy ourselves and relax. Devendra, what is your pick? Real quick, I want to shout out uh, the movie Athena, which is on Netflix right now. Uh, it's directed by the French director Romain Gavras. Uh, it is... It's about basically a full-on riot that happens at a at a housing project, the Athena Housing Projects in France. And uh, it is a visual tour de force. And I think everybody should watch this movie. Um, it starts off with uh, basically a group of, uh, of uh, rioters. I, I call them like they're people who are fighting against the police, but they're also people who are, you know, fighting for the freedom uh, of their neighborhood. Uh, they want to... Uh, there was a video that showed that police had killed a young child and it's kind of the community responding to that. And this movie opens up with a tour de force takedown of a police station. And just like the level of filmmaking here is powerful, but also the messages it's sending and showing off like just how, you know, especially struggling communities have to fight to be heard in a lot of Western societies, I think is really, really powerful. Um, I think it's worth watching. It is an incredible film. It's a powerful film. And you can watch right now on Netflix. Super easy. So check it out. It's in French, but the the most compelling parts are it's just pure visual filmmaking. So as an action movie, I'd say go for it. Check it out. So Sam, I think you know what my pick is going to be because I've been just talking about it nonstop. Can you guess? Oh, I see your face. You're frowning. Your face palming. I, I, I made the mistake of looking at the show oh. notes. Did you Did you see? I wrote a little comment for you. I didn't see. Where's your oh, comment? Some, I, oh, I think it might, might, might have gotten cleaned up. What was your comment? So, okay. So let's start with my pick. My pick is, unfortunately, I hate to admit this, my pick this week is the Try Guys. It is the Try Guys content. And I hate, I hate... <laughs> That this is the this is how I've come to learn of the Try Guys is the right, whole right. I, I've been I've been making fun of Sherlin all week uh, because all two weeks, up two until weeks. It's been two sorry, weeks. two weeks all up until like the, before the big Try Guys scandal broke, Sherlin had been like completely oblivious. Yeah. and then because <laughs> of the scandal, Sherlin's been going back and watching old content and is like, oh, I I, I love this bit. <laughs> it's like I I want to. Can I be a Try Guy? And I was like, where where have you been? Sam, Sam and so we have a group chat where Sam, Chris Velasco, and another and Julian Chokatsu from Wired have been like they were starting to freak out about everything that was happening as it was happening. So like maybe three weeks ago, like one of them was like, "Did you hear that Ned Fulmer from Try Guys might have been like caught?" Blah blah blah. Oh, and then they started sharing all these like little updates, and I was blissfully out of it. I was like not giving a crap. I was like. I don't care who are the try guys, what is going on. And they tried to explain it to me and I still didn't pick up until like, I think Chris V dropped like an, an actual full, like here's what's happened sort of tweet thread link. And I went and read up and I was like, all right. Then I think I ended up watching one video. I went and watched one video. I was like, oh my gosh. Okay. They're very watchable. Oh, they're very likable people. Other than Ned, like I, she, I think- She's like, oh, this channel with like 8 million subscribers. Oh, they must, there must be something about them that people like. <laughs> 
this is true. And ever since then, I have nonstop been asking Sam, V, and Julian to be like, let's be the Try Guys. Let's do our version. Try Guys, but more diverse. Try Guys and a gal. Try Guys and a try girl. But um, the, the reason I like the content uh, and, and why I'm recommending it and why I've been kind of obsessively watching all of it is it's a, such good, like, wholesome stuff, right? Setting aside the controversy, um, and if you can ignore the fact that this one person whose whole brand image was that he's this family-oriented guy who loves his wife and then went on to cheat on the wife with a co-worker, a subordinate, whatever. If you can set all of that drama aside, a lot of this content is not only like wholesome and and warm, it's also um, like, I, I like that they tackle difficult issues for women from a male perspective sometimes. So like a lot of or, the- Or even dudes issues. There, there's an exactly. old episode about like uh, one of the Try Guys got like uh, hair plugs um, and it's just like, that's something that like has been something that people kind of shy away from talking about. Yes, all kinds of stuff. Like they they do things like they um, shed a light on things that society tends to be very critical on. Things like pole dancing or whatever, and they're uh, even just like ballet dancers where they all try ballet for the first time and they're like, oh my gosh, this is more physically exhausting or taxing than I imagined it would be. They did also like try on um, women's underwear. They try on uh, brides' dresses or whatever. And there's this one of them. Uh, his name is Keith, and I mean. Like I need to introduce y'all. Um, he's he's his constant thing with these like try on women's clothes things is like why are sizing things so difficult? Why are they so inconsistent? Why isn't there anything in my size? Like these are questions women have had, but like no one realizes. No one, at least that's not a, a, a you know woman or identifies as a woman who's going shopping for these things have really realized, even though we've written about it a lot. So like watching them tackle these from like a different perspective and do it in a very, in the past, non-toxic uh, way. I think their whole brand was non-toxic and wholesome. It just, it's it's nice, right? It's nice to see. And so I just had it on over and over. They also do a lot of food shows. And I think that that was their like main brand thing for a while was like try guys without a recipe. They make things without recipes. And and that's a very Sam thing to do. Sam doesn't do things without a recipe, but Sam gets very I, I I love a good recipe, but I think I think in some ways the pinnacle of cooking is like having a recipe so ingrained in you that you can riff on it like and make adjustments as you need to or like you know for guests like you know i don't i don't like onions or something like that and it's like like they're they're it's like cooking nirvana when you don't always need to be looking at like step-by-step instructions yeah i like i love when like so sam also like uh uh when sometimes when Sam and his wife host these events, they have like very fun things for us guests to do. For example, they did like a roll, make your own sushi roll or like make your own dumplings and like they'll provide the fillings and all you have to do is assemble the stuff. But Sam always likes to do um, creative ideas for fillings, right? I love your like hamburger, your cheeseburger. Uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, I'm always doing like a, a Asian fusion like rest recipes. So it's like a hamburger dumpling or like a... Uh, can't remember. Like, remember your keto sushi that I loved? I can't even remember what that was. Oh actually. yeah, there, yeah, it was uh, it basically it was a ha- hamburger sushi, but like also with a little spam in there and right yeah. with just seaweed only as the wrap, so no rice, just hamburger, mincemeat stuff. You did like you have your traditional like Taiwanese chives thing uh as a filling too. And then you have like mapo tofu one time as like one of your fillings. Uh, your that wife, was an experimental one, yeah. That was pretty experimental. Your wife tends to do like uh, uh mushroomy veggie type stuff, so so it's all good. Anyway, try guys. Don't watch it hungry. Uh, but there you go. Uh, <laughs> Sam, what are you recommending this week? So the show I'm recommending is an anime. It's called Chainsaw Man. Uh, it just uh, so the the an- fall anime season just started, and there's only one episode out right now. 
but I watched it last night and it's awesome. Um, it's definitely a little bit gory, but it's like, and the, the, the show is the name of the title. Okay. It's a guy with chainsaws on his arms. And, and so, but like, it's also weirdly wholesome in a way. Um, the animation is excellent. It's like really crisp. Um, and so it's, it's kind of like the, the premise of the story is like this guy has been like down on his luck and he got saddled with a big debt from his dad. And, uh, you know, there are what they call devils in this world. And so there's devil hunters and he's a devil hunter. And so he has a little really cute pet chainsaw dog and they go around killing uh, devils. And that, I don't want to ruin, you know, ruin the plot, but that's kind of the premise of, of the story. But in like just the way they do, it, it's just really intense. And they, they the way they do the action, it's like it's one of the best like action animes I've seen. It's like up there with One Punch Man and like Jujutsu Kaisen and stuff like that. And so if you like anime and you like just a really good action uh, anime with a little bit of gore, um, I, I can't recommend Chainsaw Man enough. Um, it's been one of the most like long-awaited like manga uh, adaptations, and so far, at least one episode in, it's living up to expectations. I I need to point out that based on the artwork that we're showing on the live stream right now, it looks like this dog is like hit. It looks like a a pair of butt cheeks with no, a no, chainsaw okay. in the crack. How, how, how the dare crack. you? How dare? No. How dare you? The, the dog's name is Pachito and he has a little chainsaw on his head and he's the most cute, wholesome thing. I will not have you make fun of the dog because I'm not the making dog fun is awesome. of the dog. I'm just pointing out that it looks like it's cute. You know, it's like you a little... You said it peach. looks like a butt, okay? It, no, you can't take butts that back. are cute. Butts are cute. Who's his butts are cute? Okay, yeah. fair enough. See, there you go. Cute little butt with a chainsaw in the crack. You know, that's the, that's the, that's the dog. Uh, but I will give this a shot because demons and chainsaws are things that I like. Well, that's it for the episode this week, everyone. Thank you as always for listening. And this week, thanks for putting up with us. Our theme music is by game composer Dale North. Our outro music is by our very own Terrence O'Brien. This podcast is produced by Ben Elman. You can find Devendra online at at Devendra on Twitter and at the Filmcast podcast at thefilmcast.com. You can find Sam online at at Sam Rutherford and as always on Engadget.com. If you want to send me tips on relaxing and calming myself down, you can hit me up on Twitter. I'm at Sherlindo. Email us your thoughts at podcast at Engadget.com. Leave us a review, please, on iTunes and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. <laughs>